This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 14th of November. A podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Jon, and here's my co-host, Dave. Hi, Dave. Hello, Jon. Where are you? I can't see you. I'm here. No, you're I'm not. waving at you. I'm waving. <laughs> Waving through the sound bites. Okay, I have to explain, Dave, again, how this works, I think. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> it's all very complicated, this lark. I'm not sure I really understand it. Well, apart from all that, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I actually had some time off earlier on this week. Ah. I'm feeling refreshed and ready and raring to go. Well, that's great, but still you're going to have to wait for me. Because it's oh. a roaring news episode and I go first. God. Uh, no swearing on this podcast, Dave. This is a family-friendly podcast. Podca- pod- podcast? Podcast? I don't know what a podcast maybe. is. Um, <laughs> it's fa- it's family-friendly. That's the most important thing. <laughs> All right. Lay it anyway, on me. Enough for the introduction. Uh, we've got three art- articles today, I think. Mm-hmm. And the first one I want to shout out to is uh, some people I actually know from uh, a local bank here in the Hollands, being the ING Bank. And they've got a nice blog post up on Data Artisans, and it's called uh, Streaming, and that's spelled Stream ING, no pun intended, but nicely done. Streaming machine learning models how ING adds fraud detection models at runtime with Apache Flink. It's a rather in-depth article by Eric Denoy. It's published on the 25th of October, so it's a bit, a uh, couple of weeks old now, but still, it's uh, going quite in depth uh, about the fraud uh, detection models and how they work with it. They don't actually give us how the models work internally, of course, but they do give us quite a bit of information. And the main takeaways from the article are the, firstly, they're using Spark and Flink side by side. They're using Spark for the non-streaming stuff and Flink for the streaming stuff. And I'm seeing this more often today, to, to be honest. Actually, when if people remember our uh, talk about the Munich DataWorks Summit, I think. There was also a talk there about people doing apparently mm-hmm. much the same thing. So where in the past Spark and Flink were the big combatants on each side of the battlefield and fighting each other in practice, apparently, people really like uh, putting those together on the cluster and uh, using each one for their strengths, which is uh, very nice. Second piece of takeaway information here is that if I read through the article, and we're not going to go in detail there, so if you want to read it, go ahead, it's interesting. But the big part about it is still about productionizing your machine learning models. And one thing that I'm very proud of here is the uh, fact that they can make changes instantly. They actually have a little YouTube demo that demonstrates this apparently. Haven't we really looked at the YouTube image yet? Because, uh, well, who has the time to look at YouTube images these days? But apparently they're able to just, uh, without downtime, swap the models when they have a newly trained model or something uh, that works a little better. And they describe how this works. And, um, yeah, to be honest, it's a pretty good feat of uh, engineering to be able to do that, I think. So they, they also talk about being able to use a, a range of models yeah. um, as part of this solution. And they they seem to make fairly heavy use of um, PMML to mm-hmm. um, exchange models between different environments. So between their um, their sort of Spark area, area they call their offline um, offline sort of area where they use for the training, mm-hmm. and then their their online area that they they do the actual streaming modeling model execution piece. 
Ja, dat is op de flinke part. Ja. So, do you think that this is something that is particularly different? Do you think this is a, a new pattern that we're going to see? I mean, they, they talk about using um, Spark for the offline model training, Flink being the model execution engine, essentially choosing, you know, not to put words in their mouth, but best of breed for each, um, you know, each area, online versus offline. Um, now, that would suggest that they, they didn't think that Spark Streaming was capable of delivering their sort of online model execution piece for, for whatever reason. They don't really go into why they chose the different components for yeah. each different area. This isn't new because Spark has, doesn't have streaming. It has micro-batching. Indeed. If you want to have real-time streaming in the past. But what this is indicative of, I, I'm afraid, is the maybe demise of Storm. Because in the past, what you saw was using Spark for your modeling and uh, batch uh, scoring, if you like. And mm-hmm. once you go to uh, real-time, you went to Storm. Mm-hmm. Storm has always had the reputation, and deservedly, I think, to be somewhat hard to work with. Because you really need to be a, a, a true programmer, to be honest. A real Java yeah. programmer to do some st- some nice stuff there. I know that uh, if I put my Microsoft hat on, you've got some nice integrations in Visual Studio to make actual remote debugging of Storm bolts uh, possible. But even at that kind of advantage, it's still kind of hard to make this work. Yeah, And it's totally different from Spark. It's two different kinds of thinking, two different kinds of tool sets. It's nothing, it doesn't really share anything. If you compare Spark and Flink, they have a kind of um, same origin, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. So the, 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 the way of thinking about it is quite similar. Same kind of people work with the same kind of tooling. And seeing Flink being dropped in now as a replacement of the Storm components actually does make sense. And as I said, it's something I've been seeing since the the, the Munich DataWorks Summit, seeing it uh, yeah. more and more happening. So it's not really a new paradigm. It's still the, the cold hot path with Spark cold yeah, yeah. and some streaming thing hot. Yeah, It's just a changing of the uh, tool set there, going away from Storm, going away to, to towards other things. And yeah, Flink uh, does seem to become more and more of a known entity because at a certain point, Spark was that uh, their marketing machine was running overdrive and uh, yeah. it was everywhere, and Flink was kind of shunted away. And I know there's been some, some bad feelings there, and I remember a certain uh, uh, a certain uh, the session I. At some data work summit where a guy from Flink was actually bashing on Spark pretty badly. Happily, that's a long time in the past now, and apparently the two groups are willing to live side by side. And I'm actually waiting for uh, the Clouderas and the Hortonworks to actually put Flink in uh, their distributions as a standard component. Time will tell. Maybe that's a topic for the predictions. Uh, oh, yeah, we can have prediction shows. <laughs> ah, you let the cat out of the bag. That was a secret. Hardly. We've been <laughs> doing this a number of years now. <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah, nice nice article. Nice article. Yeah, I kind of like the fact that it's an uh, article from people actually are doing this. It's not somebody theory crafting or telling mm-hmm. you a nice POC. This is how they're actually doing it in a bank. So you know they've been thinking about it. And I know the team that's working uh, working on this. And I know they've been working on this for quite some time. And uh, just going to their uh, conclusion, uh, 
since we have parameterized, okay, how do you pronounce that word? Parameterized? Since we have parameterized everything, we have effectively built a platform that can be used for all kinds of use cases, as well as sending customer notifications based on customer profiles and behavior. So this is also something to think about when they built this thing, they used a platform that was multi-purpose and actually built a multi-purpose solution with it, which is a nice way of thinking about it. Because oftentimes I see people using a platform to solve a single problem without actually thinking further how else they can use this. And then when they have the first use case built, oh God, we have to do this now. Oh, we didn't take it. Oh, and you get a lot of trouble. Apparently they actually started from scratch with the idea that this is going to be a multi-purpose thing. And yeah, definitely the way to go, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so this this actual blog post is an adaption from their Flink Forward session yes. back in April 2017. Right. So they uh, the there's a link actually to the full session, which is you know just under 40 minutes of uh, a deep dive into showing the code by the looks of things and a few other elements of it. So yeah, for more in depth information, yeah, definitely look at yeah. That. Cool. For links in the show notes. Links in the show notes as always. Over to you. All right. So, riding the uh, the, the blockchain hype train. Um, yeah, you gotta love it. So, <laughs> two art- two articles um, inexorably linked uh, with the topic of blockchain here. So, the first one is um, so slightly oddly. the The first one is a Fortune dot com article, seventeenth um, of October, and it's. So the article itself is an interview with Tim Berners-Lee. Um, and as much as I like Tim Berners-Lee, the, the more interesting piece is there's a, a video clip at the top of this this article, which doesn't actually have anything to do with Tim Berners-Lee, but does have um, a series of uh, CTOs and other execs of a variety of different organizations um, talking about uh, blockchain and how either how they're using it, uh, not very much, um, but more often sort of what they what they think it will be used for in the future. And uh, I just thought this was particularly interesting because, um, well, first of all, I thought it was amusing because at the start they're all asked, um, do, define blockchain in 10 seconds or less. Uh, the first person asked actually says, I don't think that's possible. The second person asked, I think... I think it's the second person, just completely misses and, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a train wreck. Eventually, you know, one person uh, does get quite a uh, neat explanation, and that was uh, Christopher Heiser, the CEO of Renovo. Uh, blockchain is a technology where a group of distributed computing systems can compute the authenticity of a transaction in a decentralized manner. I think that's probably about as as succinct as you can possibly get uh, for a description of what blockchain is. I think that's pretty good. Um, I actually disagree, but... <laughs> well, okay. What, what's your 10-second or less definition of what blockchain is? I have one word for it. Go on, then. Hype. So one of them does actually say it's just a VC-funded <laughs> hype buzzword. Um, so you're not alone in that particular yeah. vision. I've been a bit, a bit facetious. I think that's the right word for this. It's yeah. uh, it, at, the, at the moment, it's mostly hype. Does it have uh, capabilities? Does it have a future? Oh, definitely. But at the moment, it's much of a problem, not much of a solution looking for a problem. And I think that that's the that's by and large that's the conclusion. There's a lot of 
discussion through the video, which is only about you know just under five minutes. It is actually worth watching. I I, I found it useful and interesting. So again, links in the show notes. But the the echo seems to be lots of people thinking about how they might use it. Um, very few people actually using it. Now that being said. Um, some of the examples of organizations um, looking to to make use of it are fairly large organizations. So uh, Marsex and the, the shipping industry is you know testing blockchain at the moment to track shipments and coordinate with customs. Um, Airbus is actually look, looking to use blockchain to monitor the many different components that come together to make an aircraft. Um, Accenture, Microsoft, and the United Nations are actually collaborating to build um, a blockchain for digital identity, uh, which they they think will be especially useful for refugees who lack a lot of the normal kind of social documents that you would expect uh, most people to use. But the, the most interesting example given is that Walmart in the US um, was actually using blockchain for uh, tracking the shipping of um, the shipping history of individual um, uh, mangoes in this particular case, and they were able to track the full shipping history of two mangoes in two seconds. Whereas using their existing methods, I guess you know, a variety of legacy systems uh, to track the full shipping history, presumably from you know, original source all the way through to eventual you know shop destination where it was sold uh, took them six days 18 hours and 26 minutes so uh, some interesting interesting uses of, of blockchain um, but it's still people are still on the very edges of um, as you say I don't know that it's quite a uh, a solution looking for a problem I think it's somewhere <laughs> in between that but it, it is interesting that it's starting to um, get a little bit, a little bit further down that uh, that solution path. We'll see. Yeah, but there's been a big change when uh, the blockchains like Ethereum came with the smart contract concept, mm-hmm. because that actually makes it, in my opinion, useful. Because a blockchain, per se, at, at the core of it, is just an immutable ledger. Whatever yeah. you put on there can't be changed. Hang, hang on, that's not true. Majority rules. If the majority of your blockchain miner says that change can happen, it can happen. So be careful with that one. And especially be careful if you actually go with private blockchains, because I know a lot of banks are looking at blockchain too, but I doubt a lot of banks want to share their blockchain with the other financial institutions in the world because of privacy issues or just because they don't want to play together. So if you keep it internally, it's maybe easy enough to, to kind of fraudulently change it. See, this is this is the big concern. I don't think just it's just banks either. I think this the big concern for a lot of enterprise organisations. I think we actually probably had a conversation quite similar to this um, quite a few episodes ago when we were, we had a, a previous blockchain article discussion. But a lot of the conversations start off with this blockchain sounds interesting. How do I run my own internal version yeah, exactly. of it? And it's, it's really missing the. The point of of blockchain is that part of the blockchain is outside of your control. That's that's why, or a lot of the blockchain should actually be outside of your control. And that's that's one of the things that supposedly should um, you know keep that level of integrity. Is that you know you you shouldn't be able to go and reach into all of the other elements of the 
blockchain to go and fiddle with them. So yeah. it's it, it's still relative, right? Because as long as the, the 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 government the governing body of your blockchain is larger than the part of the company organization that you want to govern, mm-hmm. it's okay. For example, yeah. if you want to govern your supply chain, that's just one part of a big company, and you make yeah. sure the blockchain has is bigger than just that one department, at least four times bigger than the one department, I would say, then you can still control, check, audit that sub-department. Yeah. So it doesn't have to go worldwide immediately, and the whole federated blockchains things, which is, I think it's native to uh, Ethereum and a couple of others, but I forget the name. Uh, it can work, but as you said, usually it's the supply chain t- department that says, let's make a blockchain for supply chain management. And at that point, you either have to convince or pressure your um, uh, your subcontractors, your deliverers, your, your logistics companies you hire to also use your blockchain. At that point, again, you get bigger than just the, the department itself. But I'm always wondering how is this, this is different from just having a log file somewhere. I mean, if you don't trust your sysadmins not to go into the system and manually change your log uh, entries... Yeah, you can avoid that by using a blockchain because then you have to really start doing the hash algorithm, double checking. It's hard to, to fake something like that. Yeah. But my question is, if you really don't trust your people internally that far that you actually need something like a blockchain to control your own internal things, that doesn't work very well. Now, as I said, that's what it used to be. Smart contracts actually make this useful. And I actually heard a a very simple example from one of my colleagues a a couple of weeks ago where they had actual blockchain. They they have trucks that move produce that had to be refrigerated from point A to point B, but there's a couple of substations in between. Mm -hmm. Every uh, truck is equipped with a sensor that senses the temperature. If that temperature and, and actually has connection to the blockchain, how you do that, of course, means you have to have 4G connectivity in the trucks and everything like that. But just let's just say the IoT part of this is covered. Yeah. If you do this with blockchain, you can actually put a smart contract in the blockchain that says whenever the temperature goes below X degrees, fire off a warning to the back end office, whatever product you're using to put a warning and alert on this shipment is now bad. So when the shipment actually arrives, at that point, you can already see, oh, but this has been invalidated because temperature went uh, overboard. Mm -hmm. So in this case, you still need to convince everybody to use a blockchain. But the usefulness for me is you don't use it to check up on people. You don't use it to make sure that the data has not been changed. But you can actually use it to just do alerting. Yeah, it's kind of a hands of alerting system. I put it on the blockchain and make sure that everybody in the in the chain is using the blockchain. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you can use it to automate your alerting. And when the truck pulls into the the loading dock, you can just say, hey, "Drivers, stop! We don't even want to take this in. We don't scan it in. We don't touch this thing because it's invalid." Yeah. And when you're thinking about that kind of possibilities, yeah, then it becomes interesting. But again, you have to make sure that everybody in the, the logistics chain there actually is willing to use this thing. Same thing about uh, proving that a certain piece of beef came from that specific cow. The moment that one person in the in the, the, the chain that touches that little piece of produce says, I don't want to touch this blockchain thing because I don't know why, I have no benefit from it. 
that's always a reason why people adopt new technologies when you have a benefit. Yeah, it kind of breaks it again. So again, I love the technology. I think it's fun to play with, and have some. I actually have seen a colleague do a demonstration where he made his own lottery, and the lottery tickets are actually smart contracts in a blockchain. <laughs> 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 so this logic can do with it, but it's just it's it's just so slow. I mean, how many have you been have you been asked by your colleagues, customers, whatever? How can I put my database in the blockchain? Yeah. That's a lovely one, isn't it? That's that's the message that's full of fail, at least so far. Uh, but you can do it. I mean, it's possible. But just remember that any update, any mutation you do, it's an asynchronous commit. So you have to kind of wait until every single entity in the blockchain has updated that little blockchain. And then it comes back with the acknowledgement that it actually happened. So, if you'd want to do transactional transactional uh, activities on that database, well, you might think again. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the the, sec- the second sort of related point to this, and I think we can probably skim over this one pretty quickly. Is is does blockchain alleviate security concerns or create new challenges? And this is just a relatively short um, article Q and A style. Uh, talking about blockchain and security, and I think that the the key um, question here, for me at least, was there was um, there was a message around, uh, or there was a question around, do you think the nature of blockchain will help or hinder security? And you know, the the end result is that it should help to eliminate a lot of the security um, related sort of failure mode. So syncing of databases, siloing of data and all that sort of thing. But it does also create a whole new set of challenges around the actual cryptographic key material and how you manage that and how you get that, that blockchain integrated with all of the other external systems and organizations on the blockchain. So, um, I mean, overall, overall, the answer is that uh, this this particular person says that uh, he would say that blockchains are a net improvement in security, but are certainly some new challenges that will be new to most organisations. And I think that last, that final piece is probably the the key uh, element here: is that blockchain, as you said earlier, is cool tech. There's no doubt about that. But integrating that with uh, existing systems, existing organisations. Uh, at a level that um, really delivers you know, business benefit, that's going to be the trickiest part of all of this, I suspect. Yeah, it's, at the moment, it's I would say it's a cool tool, but it's not even a cool tool yet, but it's definitely not a solution yet. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, so there we go. Hey. Block train, block train, hype train, still, <laughs> still stuck in the station. I do have one question for you, though. Sure. This is a podcast about big data and advanced analytics. How do you see the combination with uh, blockchain? So I see blockchain as just being another another piece of the big data ecosystem roadmap. Why? Because it is. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Because for me, I've, I've asked myself this question before because uh, my official title is... Uh, data solution architect so I do things with big data and machine learning and this blockchain thing I was wondering is this a purely development programmer compute thing is this part of the big data advanced analytics and I think the problem is that because there's no solution built around it yet nobody knows yeah difficult to say I, I, I think it 
it either is or will be part of the big data ecosystem. Yeah, but that's mainly because the people that are working with it are coming from this environment, right? Yeah, very true. Very true. Well, because it's a solution that's maybe felt fitted to it. It's just that all the people that are doing blockchain are usually also the people that are doing your big uh, your machine learning, your deep learning, your big data problems. Yep, yep. There we go. All right, that was uh, us on blockchain. If you want to hear more, hear more about blockchain from Dave and me, let us know, and we'll uh, talk about it more often. Or, or we'll find someone that actually does know about blockchain. <laughs> How about that? No, let's not let's not make it practical. Come on. <laughs> this, is a, this is the fun podcast, not the it's a work replacement kind of thing. Okay, fair enough. In that case, tell us tell us more about DevOps and why is that why is that big data? Well, <laughs> starting at the beginning, my second article for today, and I would just like to say that I have two articles and Dave doesn't. Although he did have a longer one, so it's okay. Uh, my second article is on the Data Hub site from Pact Hub, or Pact Pub, I should say, sorry. And it's called DevOps Might Be the Key to the Big Data Project Success. And the reason why I think this uh, DevOps thing is a big part of big data is quite simple. I used to be a DevOps engineer. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... Uh, it's a, I think it's a nice article because the DevOps thing has been around for a while and has uh, kind of petered out in the uh, marketing hype, let's say. I mean, DevOps is still something I think is uh, here to stay and is very useful for most organizations. And this is a not too long article that just explains a bit how DevOps can help you in your big data challenges. And uh, actually, when I said that I started as a DevOps engineer, I do actually think that's uh, significant because I've seen most of the big data, and I'm not talking about the data scientists here, but the big data infrastructure people, big data architects, actually coming from a DevOps background. And that makes a lot of sense because if you're doing anything with big data, you will do simultaneously stuff with infrastructure. You will do stuff with uh, low-level system engineering. You'll do stuff with scripting. And that's typically what the DevOps does. So I kind of see, just as my career has uh, has has ran, the DevOps thing as kind of an in-between gateway job, if you like, between the I'm doing something fun with computers and becoming uh, relevant in the big data environment. And I know we've having, uh, we're having a uh, roles on big data series going on at the moment. And, uh, well, the DevOps, I don't think it's big enough to actually make a whole episode on it. Having seen this article, I kind of said, yeah, let's do a shout out to my DevOps brethren and uh, give him a little time in the, in the, in the light. Article is uh, not too long. It gives a bit of information what the DevOps is supposed to be and uh, how it's a match in heaven. And one nice uh, quote here is, by adopting DevOps, you'll reduce any silos that exist between the roles, breaking down barriers and embedding big data uh, with cross-functional teams. And that's also an interesting one because I agree that you using the DevOps methodology will break down silos because you will break down the we're infrastructure IT, no we're development with the we're programming. It's no longer the throw it over the fence, now it's somebody else's problem. And a lot of big data projects, when you start running them and you start developing them, you will hit a lot of different kind of silos. You'll you'll meet departmental silos, you'll meet uh, data silos. And also this infrastructure IT versus development versus business, let's say. So having a DevOps methodology also will help you at least get the culture of cross-domain uh, capabilities in there. So that's uh, also nice. Uh, it's something I've 
yeah, had in my head, I guess, but I've never seen it written down. So that was also a reason I put it out here. And the conclusion is also kind of fun. We've come a long way from the big data being a buzzword. Today, it's the new normal. Uh, it should be on any car bumper sticker, right? <laughs> <laughs> bumper stickers available from the <laughs> Roaring Elephant store. Ooh, that's our first plug for a store. Hmm. Anyway, it's a short article, but again, DevOps. Maybe a bit out of the marketing eye at the moment, but I think it's a, it's a nice article to read. Fair enough. Do you think it's really the key to the project success, though, big data projects? That seems a little bit... Uh, uh, it depends I think, how you look at it. I think there are a lot of other things that are more important to a big data project success than DevOps. I think DevOps is a useful element to it, sure, but... You know, getting yeah, the right data in the first place, the wider team beyond just the I DevOps think, team. I think it's a cultural shift that's uh, the key thing here. Because of the DevOps role being a role that's easy to adopt in a company, because even if you don't do anything with big data or HPC or whatever, just moving your sysadmins to a more DevOps role, breaking down those first couple of uh, silos is a nice first step to successfully complete a big data uh, uh, project that will inevitably have to deal with the silos in your company. I think a company that does DevOps has a better chance of doing this kind of big company spread uh, project successfully than a company that doesn't that still resides on a clear segregation between sysadmin and uh, development so from that point of view i think it's a key maybe not the key but mm-hmm. uh, it does for me it, it i must honestly say that when i go to a new customer or a new client or an organization that is thinking about doing big data I kind of look at their, at the people I'm talking to, if they have the sysadmin or DevOps mentality. And I am always a little bit relieved if I'm talking to DevOps because the, I don't know, the, the interaction goes more fluently for some reason. And maybe that's just because my own background is from DevOps and I have more to relate to. That's possible. Mm-hmm. So it might be very subjective there. But, uh, but, um, yeah, the key, no, you're right. But a key, I think it is significant enough, significant enough to, to call out from time to time. Fair enough. I'll let you get away with that one. (laughs) Thank you for giving my little moment in the sun there. That's quite all right. Anything else from you? Uh, Nope. I think we've uh, killed this one as well, and uh, I'm out. All right. In that case, I think that is all the time we have for today. Hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data. We're back next week with a brand new episode. Uh, But until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag and contact us by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or other feedback. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is John. And we look forward to speaking to you next week. See you then.